So they say in family gatherings, uh, you shouldn't speak about religion or politics. Uh, in our family, in a holy family here, religion and politics aren't so much of a problem, especially not religion. We tend to be fairly uh, in agreement on that kind of thing. But one thing which will just split the house down the middle is when we have to decide what movie we're watching. That, 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 that turns to, to blows on a regular occasion. So one movie we watched recently, um, and correct me, I didn't actually verify this, is it called Hamilton or is it called Alexander Hamilton? Okay, it's called Hamilton, right? Uh, it's a movie called, it's a, a recording of a musical called Hamilton, right? Now, generally speaking, I don't like musicals. Uh, I don't really, yeah, whatever. It, it's, it, it works for some, not my thing. Um, but they put this on, and I found it surprisingly entertaining. It was, it was good. No, I'm not recommending this. It's, uh, this isn't a plug. I, uh, yeah, there are some swear words in it, so apologies. Uh, well, don't watch it, but it doesn't... Whatever. It's not a recommendation. I'm just saying I watched it. Okay. Uh, so, but um, there was one very, very interesting character, George III, right, the king of England at the time of the American Revolution. He's in it. Well, he, not he. And there's an actor playing his role. And uh, uh, it's, it's fantastically hilarious and psychotic at the same time, right? So George III walks out, and he's got this such a... He, like he nails the role. He's so pompous and arrogant and just has this kind of dead stare. <laughs> right? so, and so he's able to sing his song, which is also quite a difficult song to sing. It's got quite a, quite a high range, uh, while staring just dead at the camera. You know? and, then, and then he can just kind of flick on the emotion. You know what I mean? Uh, so, so he kind of walks out with this kind of dead stare, right? And then he stops. And then he says, it's not easy to be king. You know, right? And, and so he talks about how, you know, how, 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 how difficult it was for him that they no longer loved me as king. Oh, so I shall kill them and their families. Dead stare. You know, just really creepy. Really, really creepy. And today we're celebrating the Feast of Christ the King. Right? And when, I don't know, for, maybe, maybe it's a thing for us as Irish. When we think of, when we think of kings, I don't think our relationship to kings is all that positive <laughs> uh, maybe due to our history uh, the, the idea of a king isn't exactly a positive idea I mean just when I saw this um, when I saw Hamilton there it just kind of reminded me of again it's a caricature I'm not necessarily saying this is how the man actually was but it is uh, there is this idea uh, of kings being just so narcissist so self-centered so self-focused so cruel so unjust uh, so capricious just torn, pulled every direction by their next mood, right? And, and this obviously is, is, is not the kind of king or ruler anybody would want. Uh, and great damage, great loss of life has been caused uh, by, by rulers like that, by kings like that. A few years back, I read a book called The Way of the Wild Heart by an author called John Eldridge, where he speaks about the, the masculine journey. So how we as men, there are certain phases not necessarily linked to age at all, but often associated with certain age, age groupings, age ranges in our lives, but they don't necessarily occur <coughs> in that order or in that time period. Okay, so I'll, I'll, uh, we'll have a look at it and see how, how it works with today's feast. So he speaks about these six uh, phases of, of the masculine journey. And the first one is, is boyhood, right? Boyhood is great. Uh, boyhood is when you're constantly accompanied. So mom and dad are there, and they're showing you and teaching you and picking you up, and, 
answering your questions about how long the homily is going to be. Exactly, exactly. And uh, they're, they're taking care of everything. They take care of all your responsibility. They take care of all of your needs, right? So it's a very, very safe environment because you can make mistakes, you'll be picked up, you can, you know, you can learn. Okay, very good. Uh, after that then is the, what John Eldridge calls the, the cowboy phase of life. That's where maybe in your kind of early teens you get your first bike, right? And you're able to go on adventures. So you're able to kind of leave home on your own without your folks and go for little escapades into the fields, into the forests, and you build your first tree houses. And, you know, it's a great time of, of adventure away from folks. Now, but now things get a small bit more dangerous. Now, you, you know, you can, there's more risk. There's more, there's more danger, which is exactly why we do it. Um, so it's at the cowboy phase. Okay, this is, this is good for learning a bit of independence. Right. After that, that, that cowboy uh, stage, um, he has what we call the, we have what we call the, uh, the, the warrior phase. So that's maybe typically associated kind of with university age, but again, these things aren't necessarily age-related at all, but just to give us an idea of what we're talking about, uh, where you realize life isn't just about being a cowboy and having adventures. There's also, there are things worth fighting for. There are things worth dying for. There are things in the world that need to be changed. You know, let's call a revolution. Like, let's, let's do something. Let's make a difference. Let's not just sit back and accept the status quo. Like, let's, let's make a difference in our world. So there, there are things worth fighting for. So that, that you get roused up and all of that. Okay. That's the, the warrior phase. After that, then, there's a phase where you realize, well, life isn't just about fighting either. Life isn't just about uh, undoing the, the injustice of the world and that. There's also... Uh, the need for love. So it's what he calls, the, the, after the phase of the warrior, the phase of the lover. So where you realize then that uh, the strength that you've been given is also given to you to be, to be tender, to take care of people, to protect people. You know, the, the, typically the phase of, of falling in love and getting married and starting a family, uh, where it's not just all about fighting, but it's also about protecting. And the phase after that is the one I want to hone in on today. After, so we've, we've had boyhood, cowboy, uh, warrior, lover. The next phase, uh, second last phase of the masculine journey, he calls king, being a king. The last one is the grandfather, the, the old sage. But we won't we have time to talk about that, so we'll, we'll just hone in on the, on the king. So he develops the whole idea of <coughs> the masculine journey and this kind of kingly phase of life. Which was, which was very, I, when I read it, I thought it was fascinating. I've given away the book since, so I, I couldn't verify things this morning. But, uh, uh, but uh, it's very, very interesting what he says about that phase of life. He says this, this is the phase of life now where, generally speaking, you'd have the most influence, right? So maybe, again, if, if it were to be associated with age, it's probably kind of mid-50s to kind of early 60s sort of thing. So you've reached the, the, the high point of your career, of your influence, of your money, uh, all, all of that. So everything seems to be going very, very well. But what he, what he hones in on is that this kingly phase, uh, if you're given power and if you're given wealth, a good king never uses either for himself. So your power or your influence or your money or whatever it is, as a king that is not given to you for you. A king, if he's a good king, makes his kingdom feel secure. 
A king protects the boundaries. A king, if necessary, will go to war to protect his boundaries and protect the kingdom. And people will, will feel secure if he's able to make decisions in favour of them. People will not feel secure if the king is raising taxes just to build a new castle, just to build something unnecessary. But if, if the king has to raise taxes in order to increase the size of the army to protect the borders, the people would, would probably accept as long as they can still eat, for God's sake. Obviously, all these things within balance. But the point, point being, the king has to make decisions sometimes that are hard. Sometimes the king has to maybe say or do things that might be difficult for the kingdom in order to protect it. Sometimes there are parade days where it's all lovely and all easy. But the king's power and influence are not given to him for him. The king is made king to serve. The king is made king to serve. And the more he does that, the more his kingdom is secure. And the more his people feel secure. And as I said, there are days when, when difficult decisions will have to be made. You know, when, there are, when the kingdom is threatened or... Uh, there are days where, where uh, it's not all parades and flags and trumpets. But all, of, all that he has been given has been given to him for the service of others. Now, <clears throat> we fast forward to the idea then of Jesus the king. That Jesus is king of the universe. But not a kind of a capricious king who wants the glory for himself. Who wants, power, wants to be sitting on a throne... Uh, in order that we will all kind of serve him as, as, as minions or as slaves. Jesus' king is, kingdom is not like that. We, the, the reading chosen, the gospel chosen for today, is Jesus on the cross? Is Jesus crowned with thorns? Is Jesus not on a throne, but on an instrument of torture? Where Jesus uses his power and his kingdom, his kingship for the service of others. And as a king, again, there were days in Jesus' life who, as, as king, as king of the universe, uh, there were days where he was so gentle and tender with the blind and the lame and the cripples and the, the, the lepers, the ill, the, the downtrodden, the excluded from society, so tender and gentle. There were days when he had to fight. There were days when he had to tell people off. There were days when he had to say, you're wrong. You're wrong. Your belief's there. You're, 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 you're whitewashed tombs. You, you, you look good on the outside, but inside, you're death and corruption to see to the scribes and Pharisees. Like, so he, he was a king who knew how to be king. He was a king who used everything that he had and everything that he was for the service of his people because he loves them. Because he loves them. And so Jesus is like the perfect example of a king. A perfect example of what it means to live this servant leadership. So rather than crowned with a crown of gold and gems he's crowned with thorns. Rather than being surrounded constantly by servants and people groveling to win his approval, he dies in the company of thieves. Rather than, even after the resurrection, returning in great glory and procession surrounded by angels and trumpets and all of that he rises in a very understated hidden fashion and appears to small groupings of people disciples on the road to Emmaus the apostles his own mother Jesus kingship is a kingship of loving service 
It's a kingship of self-sacrifice. So that's why when we hear Jesus as king, I think it's important for us maybe to, to purify that idea of what kingship is and what kingship isn't. Because Jesus is not a king like many earthly kings is. Just like God is father, just like not like many earthly fathers are. Jesus is the perfection of kingship. God the Father is the perfection of fatherhood. So we ask today that we can really recognize Jesus as our servant king, as our king who knows each one of us, not as slaves, but as brothers and sisters, as our king who wants to guide us to the Father, into this heavenly homeland, into this heavenly kingdom, this kingdom of joy and of everlasting peace. Amen.